I'm so glad to be here with you this morning on this day uh, as we gather, and what a day it has already been so far, and what a day it's going to be. And uh, I just feel like we need to just breathe in and breathe out, because we've got a tough, tough passage ahead of us. And in fact, we've been in a series uh, now, and it's second week, we're taking a look at relationships. And uh, just show of hands, how many of you uh, have at least one relationship in your life that you wish would be better? Just show of hands. Okay. Okay. So we were planning months ago, like, should we talk about relationships? Like, is it that important? So, okay. Collective, yes. Uh, The reality is that every single one of us, we spend so much energy pouring into our relationships, our friendships, our family, our coworkers, our neighbors, people we've known for a long time, people we just met. And in so many ways, it's so true that we live in a world where relationships are broken. We look on the news, this world is broken. We look out down our street, we see things on the side of the road. We, I can look inside myself and say, broken, broken relationships. And if you missed last week, if you were traveling or if today's your first time uh, joining us, you can go on our website, you can go on iTunes and check out that message uh, because it reminded us that while there are many resources, many different ideas, many different ways in which we can build relationships and reconcile relationships and, and grow relationships, we believe as a church that what Scripture says is true, that it's God, that God is the one alone who can heal us and make us whole in ways that nothing else can. And so as we unpack today, even though this is a difficult passage, we're going to quickly find that this is the way out of the pain that we experience in our relationships. Now, even as I use the word pain in relationships or broken relationships, it's going to stir up things in your life. Uh, It's stirred up things in my own life this week as I've been preparing for it. And the reality is that as we come to this moment, it would be... It would be premature just to go right to the text without first saying that every single one of us experiences pain in relationships. That the reality is every single person here, every single person listening online right now, every single person who's going to listen to this after the fact has broken relationships. And I dwell on that just a little bit longer than maybe what's comfortable just to say that pain is common. Me too is one of the most powerful phrases that you can say to somebody else when they're courageous enough, when they're bold enough to share about their broken relationship with a friend or a spouse or a parent or a kid. But so often, we've got our own pain to deal with. And it's so painful just to say me too. And so we go to work, we go with our friends, we go to birthday parties, we show up to church, and sadly, when someone asks us the question, hey, how you doing? We give the same answer that we give throughout the week. I'm doing great. Doing fine. When there's a tremendous hole, perhaps, that we've maybe covered up so well that we've actually forgotten it's even there. It's not that you're happy to be here. Why don't we open up God's Word? James chapter 4, if you brought a Bible, if you brought a mobile device, if you don't have one, that red book is in front of you. And I say that to say that we've got to go through the tough work of what God has for us 
to begin healing from that pain. So we're going to James chapter 4, and if you don't have a Bible that you own, I want you to take one with you. Uh, I know someone, uh, I won't name their name, but they've got a couple of them, so they can have uh, one in their car, and they've got one at home, and they've got one in different places. And I would much rather you have a Bible on you uh, so that you can find the source of true life and wisdom and God's goodness, rather than it sit in the pews all week. And I know that some of you uh, are bringing your Bibles as well. And so that's so encouraging to see. So let me read this. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. God's wisdom to us through James. It's on page 982 in your pew Bible. He writes, Those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? You want something and do not have it, so you commit murder. And you covet something and cannot obtain it. So you engage in disputes and conflicts. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on yourselves and on your own pleasures. Adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is for nothing that the scripture says... God yearns jealously for the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. This, my friends, includes the reading of God's word. All right, so from right from the get-go, right from the beginning, James is telling us, and this is God through James, that when we look out in this world, we see disputes, we see arguments, we see wars, and there's a root cause for all of that. And it's actually different than what you're going to hear on the news. It's different than what you're going to hear out in the public sphere. You see, we live in a world right now that says that the reason why there is war, the reason why there's classism, the reason why there's racism, the reason is always because of somebody else or something else. You've got the wrong public policy. You've got the wrong political party in the government. You've got the wrong educational system. And we often, when we're trying to find the root cause of pain in relationships, broken relationships, whether it's in our workplace or our families or our friends, we look outside of ourselves and we point fingers. But God is saying through James that while you look out and there's a war out there among you, you've got to know that the root cause of all of that is because there is a war within you. And you've got to start with yourself before you look outside. And the reality is that we often kind of blame nameless faces and things and groups and those people. When the reality is, is it's got to begin with us. Now, I want to clearly say right from the get-go that as I talk about some of these things, if you have been abused, if you have been a victim of bullying or racism or hate, what I do not want you to hear from me and what I do not want to communicate in the slightest is that you are the reason for that pain. That's a victim mentality that often people, when they are forcing themselves on somebody else, will often blame the victim, and please don't hear that at all. And we have classes, and we have resources. We have a, a class coming up called Changes That Heal. We've got another one called Boundaries. Uh, we've got many resources that if you are in a hurting, broken relationship where you are being abused, where you are being threatened, where your physical, spiritual, emotional, relational safety is at stake, we want to help you. And I'm not here to say that it's your fault. So with that being said, 
much of the pain that we do have is our fault. And the reality is that often we so look at other people as being the root cause. Oh, that boss. Oh, that, per- that neighbor. Maybe it's the person sitting right next to you today. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a kid. You look to them and you say, they're the reason why I messed up. They're the reason why I didn't get chances. They're the reason why I've got all this turmoil going in me. And God says, you've got to start from within. Now, l- let me grab this right here. Forgive me for walking back. I, I just love being able to use these. I used this a couple weeks ago, and I got all these emails. Like, Man, I love that you were like drawn up there. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> so here I am drawn again. So there's a, a, a husband and wife, Terry and Sharon Hargrave, who have uh, developed what's called the restoration therapy model. And they're Christians. Uh, she teaches at Pepperdine and, and, and he at Fuller and they do work around the U.S. And there is this way to visually describe what this passage is saying. And I want, I want to kind of invite you into this. And it's this idea that whether things are true or not, that we have feelings. And these feelings, when they arise in the midst of a, a conflict dispute, that we will then cope. We have coping mechanisms to deal with those feelings. So, you know, I could kind of assume the feelings that rise up, but, but let, me, let, me, let me share this. So, how many of you, in the midst of an argument with a loved one, show of hands, how many of you feel in the midst of that that one of the feelings that arises is that you feel unloved? Just show of hands. How many of you feel unloved in the midst of an argument? Okay, put them up high. I, this is, okay. I know you're being vulnerable here. That's a lot of people. Okay. Now, how many of you, slightly different, how many of you, show of hands, how many of you feel unworthy in the midst of that? Put them up real high. Okay, a lot, but still a little bit less than unloved. Now, how many of you feel insignificant? Put your hands up high. Okay, that's quite a few. Now, how many of you feel alone? In the midst of an argument, you just feel very alone. Wow, wow. Okay, so I'm going to write that. That seems to be the most. Let's do alone and how about this? How many of you feel not good enough? Put your hands up. How many of you feel not good enough? A lot of hands there as well. Well, it's, I, I think alone and unloved were the, the top two. Now, what happens is that this is all internal, this is all on the inside. That when we feel alone, when we feel unloved in the midst of an argument, we then cope through a variety of different things. Now, how many of you um, turn to drugs to cope? Okay. Uh, let me back up a bit, we're not full, we don't know each other as well. Uh, how, about, how about an addiction? Whether it's binge TV or food, alcohol, I heard. So hands up really high. If it's, if it's some addiction, chocolate, chocolate. There we go. Amen. Okay. So we got that now. Um, how many of you uh, go to sarcasm in the midst of a fight? Go to sarcasm. Snarky. Yeah, there you go. A lot of hands there. Okay. Now, now how many of you just avoid? You just avoid, 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 avoid. Wow, that's a lot. Okay. Uh, now, how many of you minimize? Just minimize whatever's going on. Okay, now here's the last one. Now, how many of you um, just get... You, you blame the other person. 
How many of you just blame the other person for being the root? Okay. So, okay. So, so, so we've got, what, what was the most one that you saw? Well, food. I heard food. Yeah. So we'll say addictions. And I think minimize was, did I see that right? Just go with me here. Avoid. That's what it was. This is what's called the pain cycle. In the midst of an argument with your spouse, with your kid, with your boss, with your neighbor, with your friend, all of a sudden these feelings of loneliness, of feeling alone, of feeling unloved, of being not good enough. And when those feelings arise, you have to deal with those feelings. Now the problem is, is that we deal with these feelings differently than the way that God wants to heal us, to break us free. And so we cope. We cope with addictions. We, hope, we, we cope by minimizing it, by blaming others, by avoiding, by, by just being sarcastic and just kind of deflecting it. And what happens is, is that when we cope this way, it actually causes us to have those same feelings, but now deeper. And when those feelings are now deeper, you then cope in an even deeper way. And what happens is, is that there's this never-ending cycle. It's called the pain cycle. And it just swirls around and around and around and around. It's like a hurricane of pain. Now, actual hurricanes, like the wind and the waves and the rain, right? Actual hurricanes, there is something, there's many different factors that cause hurricanes to grow. But the number one factor they've identified is that if the surface temperature of the water is above 80 degrees, that hurricane will grow. It will get larger. The winds will pick up speed. It will go from a tropical storm to category one, two, three, four, and five, and there will be destruction in its wake. It will be astronomical. But if the water is actually cooler than 80 degrees, that, that, that hurricane begins to deteriorate, to degrade. Well, the tough thing is, now back to you and me, when we're stuck in this pain cycle, it's not the temperature of the room or the temperature of the water. But if you are in an environment that is filled with fear, if there is distrust, and if there's the opposite of love, which isn't hate, it's actually indifference, if you find yourself in an environment, in a household, in a workplace, in a group of friends, in a marriage that is based on fear and distrust and indifference, that hurricane of pain will just get bigger and bigger and bigger, deeper and deeper and deeper, and drive you farther and farther into a place of pain to the point where you have to cope more and more, where those feelings bubble up more and more. And what happens is every single person on this earth is a walking hurricane of pain. And what happens is, is when we begin to interact with one another, Quarrels start, dissension starts, anger starts, conflict starts, wars start, bullying starts, racism starts, classism starts because of the brokenness that started on the inside. Now, what's so fascinating, now back to real hurricanes like the wind and the waves over the ocean, that actually there's this amazing effect that if there's another hurricane actually swirling and it actually gets close by, What's so fascinating is that actually the two hurricanes, they begin to rotate around each other. 
that literally they could be about 800 miles apart, and yet they're close enough that as they rotate around one another, they feed off of each other, and crazy things happen. There's like cyclones within the hurricane that the energy just being detonated all around just gets greater and greater and greater. And this is called the Fujiwara effect. Let me hear you say Fujiwara effect. I call it marriage. (laughs) Two hurricanes of pain, they get close enough and unchecked. No wonder the divorce rate is as high as it is. No wonder there's faithlessness everywhere. No wonder we're seeing all the things that we're seeing with our friends, out in public, within ourselves. So what does the, uh, the hurricane of pain look like in the Sam's household? Well, I've got to own it myself. I rarely own it myself. I'm always looking at, Eric, what's wrong? What do you want? Right. So here's, here's the thing. So things will arise in my life for whatever reason. And all of a sudden, I'll feel that, like I'm not good enough or I feel unwanted, or I'll feel unloved. So what do I do? I do more. I start, I start trying to be like super husband, super dad. And at work, I try to do everything, and I'm trying to do all these things because I want to battle. I'm trying to cope here. I'm trying to solve it on my own. And, and I get a little, like, too much in my wife's personal space, a little too much, a little too much, and she just kind of needs her space sometimes. And so she'll just say, hey, you know, I love you. And we've got a great marriage, and I'm going to say this, but, but she'll say, you know, you're a little too much here, you know? Oh, now I feel really unwanted and unloved. So then I'll start to like, kind of like not minimize it, but maximize it. What's wrong? What's wrong with our marriage? What's wrong? With, why are you doing this? And, she, and so then she, her coping mechanism kicks in. Where her feelings of being unloved and unwanted and not good enough kick in. And then she's like, I'm not a good wife. And then she'll, she'll retreat. And then she'll avoid. And she'll withdraw. And if you have somebody who's withdrawing from a person that just wants to be wanted, it is a hurricane. It's like, it's like Tropical Storm Sam's on the way to category one by the end of the night. It just keeps going and going and going. And it's so easy for us, unchecked, to just slip into this. And the same happens here on staff, that, that I want to feel that I'm good enough. And if I'm afraid I'm not doing enough, the last thing I'm going to do is ask for help because I want to be good enough. And then when I don't ask for help, things get worse because I can't do it all. And then things get worse. I'm like, oh, now I'm really not good enough. Oh, I got to do more. And on and on it goes. You see, we are just a hurricane of pain wherever we go. And the problem is, First of all, that very few of us actually have the self-awareness to say, you know what, maybe I am, maybe I am part of the problem. That it's not my spouse, it's not my boss, it's not my seventh grade teacher from 30 years ago that ruined my whole life. Maybe it's not just them, but maybe, maybe I've got a part in this. And next week, we're going to talk about how you can become undone from this pain cycle, how to get out of this hurricane of pain. But what you've got to know is this. It's that you can't do it on your own. Though therapists will tell you, you've got to remind yourself, you're not really alone, that actually you are loved so that you don't deal with these coping mechanisms so you can break out of this. You can't tell yourself that you're lovable. 
You need someone outside of yourself to tell you that. The whole idea of self-help just doesn't work. Because the type of help that you need and the type of help that I need, we can't do it ourselves. You can't tell yourself, when you're alone, I'm not alone. Someone outside of you has to tell you that. And that's what James gets to. Open those Bibles back up. James chapter 4. After he says, gosh, these wars all around you, don't you realize that they come from this war that begins within you? James chapter 4, page 982 in your pew Bible, it goes on, it says this. Verse 2, you want something, do not have it, so you commit murder. And you covet something, you cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your own pleasures. And the, the, those words in the English that we've translated into desires and pleasures and wants, it's the Greek word that actually is the word hedonism. It's the self-indulgent, self-obsessed, self-pleasing way of life. And God is speaking through James and says, the reason why there's so much problem in the world is because you people are so selfish. You are so self-focused. And in trying to give yourself life, you're actually giving other people death. And in trying to get, give yourself life, actually it causes you to die as well. You know, we, we see this play out at church all the time. People show up, they want peace, they want joy, they want life. And that's a good thing because God says that he will give peace and joy and life to us. But the problem is, is that if we show up to church asking ourselves inside the question, gosh, I wonder what I'm going to get out of today. It's not that bad of a question, but if you're so focused on yourself, then you're actually going to show up looking for what you want, what you need. And if somebody's crying in front of you, or has their hands raised in front of you and you can't see the screen, you're like, man, I'm not getting what I want. And it's so easy to be so self-absorbed, so wanting to be filled up at church. As individuals, we want to thrive, but in doing so, we actually kill community. But if you were to approach every Sunday from a very different perspective and to say, God, I want to trust you, you tell me in Scripture that if I want life, I should lay down my life. If I want to live, that I should die to myself. That if I want to gain my life, I should lose it. I guess that means I need to put away my desires. And I need to be ready and willing if I show up, if someone's crying outside, to actually, instead of going to the worship that I want to hear Kendall and the team, I love that, I want to come for that. Instead of doing that, you know what? I'm going to die to myself for 10 minutes to sit down and pray with someone to have a donut with them, to have a cup of coffee with them, to ask what's going on in their life. You see, when you die to yourself for 10 minutes, you give life to this community for those 10 minutes. And the more that you die to yourself, the more that I die to myself, the more this community will live, the more this community will thrive. But that doesn't just happen by just pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps or the heels and saying, we can do it. And God knows it and says this. Open those Bibles back up in verse 4 and it says this. And this is a difficult word. In verse 4 it says this, you adulterers. Now, the translators have a very difficult task. They're taking the original language, the Koine Greek, and they're trying to translate it into English, into German, into French for people to understand. And when you read the word adulterers, you can see, okay, that, that can apply to anyone. You know, people, it's, it's, a, it's an unfaithful spouse, it's an unfaithful person. 
The tough thing is, in the Greek language, it literally says you adulteresses, feminine. You unfaithful wives. Now, you can see why they translate it to adulterers, because for many, it kind of causes people to tune out adulteresses. Why are you saying that about me? You see, in Scripture, it gives very different descriptions for who God is and who we are in relation to God. So if God is a king, then we are citizens in God's kingdom. He is our protector. He is our ruler. If God is a shepherd, then we are his sheep, that he, that he provides for us. He feeds us. Even when we're stupid sheep, uh, he, he helps us even when we can't help ourselves. Throughout Scripture, in Jeremiah and Isaiah and Revelation, Ezekiel, oh, all throughout Hosea, it describes God as a husband, as this eternal lover. And it describes God's people as God's spouse, as God's wife. And I can't gloss over this because this is actually the cure for pain. What God is trying to get across throughout all of Scripture, and James to a point right here is saying this, that you have longings, you have desires, you have cravings, that you're actually looking for not just other things or, or accomplishments or, 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 or things in, uh, that you've experienced, but you're looking for things that you think other human people can give you, that you think your parent can give you, or your spouse can give you, or that you think that if you can just have a child, that that child will give it to you? That you have these longings and these cravings? Actually, all of those things can only be given you by a loving God. Who, before the creation of anything, knew you and loved you and pursued you with an unrelenting love. That you have things in your life that are causing so much frustration in your marriage, in your family, in your, in, your, in, in your workplaces because you're trying to put that person into a place that only God should hold. And I realize that in my own life, at home, that so much of my frustration and anger and disappointment and missed expectations is actually because I elevate my wife and my four-year-old son to be in a place that only God should be that I'm looking for perfect security, perfect love, perfect affirmation. I'm looking for those perfect things in imperfect people. And it's actually unfair for me to put my wife or my son or my parents or my closest friends up at that level of a pedestal because ultimately God has said, only I can be that for you. And when you put anyone else or anything else up to that level, you are cheating on me, God says. You are getting in bed with something that will never satisfy you. If you allow yourself to imagine God as, as this cosmic lover and spouse, and for some of you, I, I know you're, you've tuned out, but if you allow yourself to think about that for just a moment, to know that you have a God that would move heaven and earth just to be with you. That wants to overwhelm your hurricane of pain with a hurricane of love. Then in Romans 8, it actually describes what that hurricane of love looks like. Some of you, I asked you to read it this week, and you read it this week, and I'll read it right now. It's Romans 8, 31. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, if this one who loves us is for us, then who can be against us? 
When you let that love rip into your heart and saturate your heart and flood your heart, who cares what your boss says to you? Of course, you got to draw boundaries and stick up for yourself, but it's not going to crush you if that person lets you down or walks out on you or if they don't return your phone call. You're not crushed when you let God's love flood your life. 32, he did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us. Will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect, God's people? It is God who justifies, who makes things right. Who is it to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? How deep the pain cycle goes? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No. No in all things. We are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Nothing outside of you and nothing inside of you. Nothing can separate you from God's love. And when you begin to understand that you have a God that just wants to love you, and just wants you to experience that love, and just wants you to love him in return. When you begin to understand that, you can begin to understand that he actually offers you a way out of this. That rather than fear, he gives perfect love. That he provides in himself the only trustworthy being in the cosmos. That there is the opposite of indifference, in fact, if it was the water temperature, it would cause the hurricane of pain in your life to just quickly evaporate, quickly dissipate. And that doesn't happen overnight. And it takes time, it takes vulnerability, it takes courage, it takes inviting people to pray for you, to come alongside you. But we've got to be a church, and I want to be part of a church, and I know you do too, where we aren't just hurricanes of pain bumping into each other. But we're a group of people that say, you know what, me too. I'm in the midst of it. I'm in the thick of it. I don't know how to get out of this. I can't do this on my own. And then we would turn to Christ, that he would be the one to transform us from the inside out. I'm going to give practical steps next week. You've got to come back next week. I'm leaving you hanging in your hurricane of pain. <laughs> and I always will because I'm just human. And I want to leave you hanging today so that you would turn to God and say, I need it now. I'm not going to wait till next week. God, I need you now. Would you rescue me now? Would you give me peace now? Would you give me joy now? And you can today. We've got a group of men and women who'd be honored to pray with you after the service. We would love to remind you that I'm not the one who's ever going to get you out of this hurricane. I, I'm, a hurricane I'm a category five some days. But we've got a God who is courageous enough to walk deep into the midst of this cycle in our lives and say, come, follow me out. Let's pray. Loving God, you are the one who tells us that even the wind and waves bow down to you. You are the Lord of creation. So God, as we sit in this moment, as we consider these truths, as we acknowledge the fact that perhaps deep in our heart is 
part of the root of the pain that we experience, God, would you do a healing work in us that we can't do on our own, that no technique, no person, no class can do. Holy Spirit, come. And would you remind us that you, you long to make beautiful things out of us, no matter how broken we are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.